Good morning, church. God is good, amen? He's so good. Today we begin a new series. And in this series, we'll be talking about the book of Joshua, touching on the book of Joshua throughout the series as our primary text, uh, which examines the time of transition within the nation of Israel from bondage to freedom, from survival, from the wilderness to the land of promise. Um, I believe that with the right foundation, with the right foundation in place, you and I can step from the desert places of our life to the promised places of our life. And so I want you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. Three verses as our launching pad today. At the exchange, we stand just to honor the word that is alive, that brings healing. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 through 9 says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous." Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The title of my message today is The Heart of a Conqueror. The Heart of a Conqueror. Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing among us. I thank you for your presence that has filled this place. I thank you for every person that walked on campus today expecting to encounter you in a very tangible and real way. God, I ask that you would not let us go through the motions today, that you would allow us to just put it all on the table, Let just lay our heart bare before you today. God, you see it anyway. Why do we hide? So we say yes to you today. We say yes to this interaction that's going to take place in the next 25 minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Fear is one of the number one ways that the enemy likes to gain access to our life. I don't know that I mentioned the, the series title, but it's Courage Over Fear. Um, fear is a huge open door to the enemy. Now, it's not the only open door. It's probably not even the biggest open door. Unforgiveness, I think, resentment would be the biggest. But fear and unforgiveness, Carrie, correct me if I'm wrong. You're the expert in this. Fear and unforgiveness are like go hand in hand as the open door, giving the enemy access to our world. So fear is kind of a big deal. Um, But I also feel like I've addressed fear over the last 18 months consistently, over and over and over 
and over and woven it through every sermon. I'm, I'm, in this series, my goal is, is not to address COVID-19 fear again. I'm, I'm kind of over it. Not over it. You know what I mean? I'm over addressing the thing that you and I should be, you know, I'm over it. Um, that doesn't mean you have to be. I just want you to know that I desire to preach on something else now in regards to fear. Because um, there are many fears that are out there, many fears that exist. And some other lesser known fears in the past 18 months have been wreaking havoc in the lives of people because every fear has been diagnosed as a COVID-19 fear. (laughs) But there are other very real fears. Now, if you're still struggling with fear regarding to COVID-19, listen, I understand that this past 18 months has created loss for us, significant loss. We, we have a gentleman in, in the service with us today that just lost his wife to COVID-19. I understand the seriousness of the matter. Carrie lost her mom and, and uh, we're losing we're losing people that are close to us. I get that. I'm not trying to minimize the fear attached to COVID-19. Uh, and, and I don't think that you should feel guilt or shame if you're fearful about COVID-19. Because Lord knows the whole world is pushing fear regarding COVID-19. Even unintentionally. You know, just looking at the news, it's getting, you're getting pushed fear every single day. Every time you go to Walmart and the person standing there with the mask waves at you, it, it's a subliminal message that you should be afraid, right? I mean, whether it's legit or not, that's not my argument today. I'm only saying that the enemy is using every avenue to create seeds of fear in you. So if you have some COVID-19 fear, don't be ashamed of that today. Uh, I just want you to know that's not my focus in this series and in this sermon. Now, if that is you, we're still praying with you over it, and we're here for you, and we will help you break free from it. Um, But not every fear is a COVID-19 fear. I wrote down a list of fears that have gotten the short end of the stick in the past 18 months. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. Fear of being stuck in pain. Fear of commitment, fear of death, fear of never finding love, fear of being alone, fear of change, fear of missing out, FOMO, fear of the unknown, fear of being found a fraud, fear of not having enough. There are a lot of fears that exist out there, so I'm going to, in this series, tackle this whole notion of courage over fear. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, I don't feel afraid at all. You read all of those things and there was no twinge in my heart that my my heart didn't drop into my stomach. I'm not up at night. Um, Maybe you're thinking that this doesn't apply to you because you don't feel fear right now. But I heard someone say recently that oftentimes we don't feel fear Because we have reduced our life to a point where we never bump against the layer where fear lives. That's pretty profound. Let me give you a couple of examples. For example, maybe we have somewhere within us a fear of failure. 
but we have reduced our life to a place of never taking risks. So we never bump up against the fear of failure. We're very content in the realm that we can control and we can manage. And everyone does what we say when we want them to. And the house looks just like we like it. And everyone answers to me, right? We don't step outside of our comfort zone. And maybe if we did, we would realize that we do have, in fact, a fear of failure. But our life has been so reduced to underneath the level of failure that we actually think we don't have a fear of failure. Here's another example. Many of us maybe have a fear of rejection. Maybe it's latent. It's invisible. You can't see it. You don't realize you have a fear of rejection. You don't think you have a fear of rejection, but to avoid the feelings of the fear of rejection, we never step into vulnerability with someone else and our life is reduced to facades and shallow relationships. I hope to offend you in this series. I hope to shape not in a bad way, in a like, oh Jesus, that hurts so good kind of way. I I hope to unveil some things in your life that you have tolerated by default, but by tolerating by default, you have failed to design your life by default. I hope that in this series, you step a little bit further than you were previously. I hope that we make the choice to live large. And if we happen to bump into some fears that you didn't know were there, we'll slay them together and we'll keep moving forward. Is that okay? Can we commit that? If I stir something in you that you didn't know was even there to be stirred and you get offended at me, rather than tweeting about it, you'll actually chat with me and together you and I will face the fear that is surfacing because oftentimes fear surfaces as offense. By the way, today's sermon is probably rated rated G for for great, no no offendable content. (laughs) But just know that my intention is never to offend you, but sometimes when the Holy Spirit is doing deep surgery, we take out our uneasiness on the person that's closest to us. But we're not going to do that in this series because we understand that we've come to church to become bigger, to live larger, to be all that God wants us to be. Now, today, Chad, I want to shift the focus from fear. Everybody say fear. fear. We've addressed all the fear. We've talked about all the fear. I don't want to talk about fear today because the more that we focus on something, the bigger it becomes. I'm shifting our focus from fear to courage. Are you going to go with me? Everybody say courage. I'm looking at you. That's right. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the choice to face it. Uh, if you're feeling today like maybe like the, the lion and the wizard of Oz, who just needed the heart of courage, this series or this sermon in particular is for you. Um, I hope to get started today an IV drip of courage in your life. I know that some of us are dehydrated and we're dry today and we need a Holy Spirit infusion of courage because you have um, been reduced down to what you can control and listen, the miracles of God never take up residence in the homes that you can control. 
Courage allows us to step beyond that. Now, in our text that we read already, and I'm going to read it again now that you know where we're headed, but in our text, Joshua finds himself leading one of the biggest movements of all time, not just their time, of all time. We have the children of Israel who came out of bondage, out of slavery from Egypt. They were delivered by Moses, the man who stuttered, and they you know, they crossed the Red Sea, God split the sea, they crossed through, then they're in the wilderness for years. You remember this story? They were they were thirsty, and Moses struck the rock and water came out of the rock, and then sometime later, Moses struck struck Again, the first time was Exodus 20, and the second time was Numbers 17. And the people are complaining, and they're upset, and Moses goes to the rock, and and God tells him, hey, speak to the rock, and the water will flow. But Moses relied on what once worked, and instead of being obedient to God's current rhema word of what needs to happen now, he was frustrated with the people. He said, you rebels, all you do is complain, and the Bible says, that he struck the rock again, water began to flow. But we know from scripture that judgment came on Moses that day because of his disobedience. God didn't allow Moses to go into the promised land because he didn't obey God by striking the rock. What did God tell Moses to do to the rock? Speak to the rock. Now, I know you're thinking, what's the big deal? God provided water from the, you know, the, the bitter waters of Meribah anyway. What's the big deal? He just struck it in his anger. Can't God forgive a little bit of something? The problem is this was a type and shadow of the future Christ. So the rock represented Jesus. And the first time they needed water, it was struck. It was pierced. It was beaten. It was hung. It was killed. But now, the second time they need water, there's no more destruction needed to the rock. You just speak to it, and the water flows. So this was a type that Moses ruined, all because of his disobedience. So God was pretty upset. He had it all planned out. He made the people thirsty just so that he could speak to the rock, but he didn't listen And and he hit it. And because of that, God said, you will never enter into the promised land. That's a reason to get offended. I, I stood before Pharaoh. I was insecure with my speech. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't even want to be called. You called me God. You, this was you. And then I bring the people out. We outrun the, the chariots, and then you drown them, and then we're in the wilderness with all of these disobedient, rebellious people, and I make a mistake, and then you don't allow me into the promised land. I might get offended at that, but Moses didn't. Not at all. Moses lived unoffendably. The judgment came at, at 120 years. Moses died, just as the Lord said he would. Side note. 120 years in scripture, that number 120 is often, almost always, a year of judgment, a year of judgment. Uh, Coincidentally, many people believe, I won't go this far, I won't deny it, but that 2020, when the pandemic came, was 120th year on the calendar. So we might have been seeing God's judgment unfold on planet Earth. Now, that's not what I'm saying. You can research that for yourself. Maybe I just piqued your interest. But we do know that Moses was judged at 100 
and 20 years. And then this man, Joshua, steps up to bat. Joshua. Joshua is now leading the nation of Israel. Moses would lead the people out of Egypt. Now Joshua would get the pe- take the people into the promised land. I feel like that's a no-win situation. I, f- I feel like if I'm having to lead after someone who's just done all of these wonderful things, me, me taking over leadership now, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling very set up for success. Are you with me? I would rather come in after the person really fails miserably, you know, and then be the shining star. But that's not what happens. Joshua is following a very great leader, Moses. And before he ever really starts, this is the instruction to Joshua, verse 7 through 9. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. In other words, we're going to pass the baton we're going to pass the baton well. Do everything that Moses told you to do. He did a good job. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So that's the opening instructions for Joshua. Do what Moses told you. Meditate on the word. Don't be afraid. I'm stepping into the land that everyone has been wanting for 40 years. And your only encouragement to me is do what Moses told you to do. Meditate on the word. Be courageous and don't be afraid. What is courage? How do I know when I've got it? How do I know when I've lost it? Courage is one of those words, and maybe, maybe this is just me. Courage is one of those words that when somebody does something really brave and spectacular, I think, man, that's courageous. Somebody tells their story of abuse or pain or loss or they conquer a fear, I think, man, that is, that is courageous. But if you ask me to define courage, blah, 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 I'm not really sure. I know when I see it. I know when I don't see it, but what is courage? Let's let's just pretend to get a, a picture of what courage is. Courage is, let's see, on, on the right side of a line. You've got a number line from zero to ten. Over here is courage, all right? Courage is this thing that we can feel, we can sense, we can smell it. Even we, we kind of know what courage is. It's just kind of hard to define. But maybe we can define what courage is not. So if, if we are standing on 10 and we go over here to negative 10, what is the opposite of courage? The opposite of courage is cowardice. Coward, the lion in, not the Lion King, the lion in... 
The Wizard of Oz. Yes, exactly. You passed. The lion in the Wizard of Oz was looking for courage, but he had cowardice. He was a coward. All right. But what if we're not, we don't care so much. You know, the enemy, oftentimes he doesn't give you or cause you to walk in the complete opposite of something because that would just be, we could just find him too easily. You know, if you always felt like a coward, if, if you felt like a coward just paying for your, your tacos at Taco Cabana, you would know that the enemy is just really attacking you, right? You, you would just see it everywhere. But he doesn't often lay us on the line of cowardice. He takes us to the midpoint. Courage, cowardice. But at zero, it's dis without courage meant discouragement discourage discouraged man lately I've just been feeling really discouraged how many of you feel like you can identify discouragement in your life and you know when you feel discouraged more than when you feel courage discouragement is one of the main ways that the enemy tries to weasel into our life. We're, we're prone to discouragement, many of us, because we don't see that the enemy, we've given him space in our heart or in our life, or we failed to take out the necessary steps to walk in courage. Did you know that you actually have a choice to stand over here in courage? This is not a, a sliding scale that's automatic like a conveyor belt that based on circumstances or finances or relationships, you move from cowardice to discouragement, almost courage, back two steps. This is a choice. We've been conditioned by the enemy to believe it's out of our control, but you can choose this day to stand in a place of courage, no matter what is going on around you. This is the place for the believer. This is where you and I are called to stand each and every day, no matter what's going on around us. So how do we get from over here to over here? Point number one, a conqueror has courage regarding their convictions. To be courageous, there are some things that you and I have to have some convictions about. I've never met a courageous person that wasn't also filled with conviction. You have to be wholehearted about something because a powerful life is lived out of conviction, not preference. There are some things I, I prefer in life that don't make for a powerful life. But I have convictions. I, I'll give you the example, the, the glaring one that comes to my mind in my own life. I prefer that my kids not be scattered across the globe. Just my preference. But that wouldn't make for a powerful life. When we first started the church, for those that don't know, I have a son in Australia who is married to an Aussie girl who happens to be Indian and beautiful family. They have given us a granddaughter, Sweet River, 
and we talk to her almost every day on FaceTime. I don't, she's not going to know what to do when I'm standing in front of her as a 3D figure. Um, but she smiles every time she sees my gray hair. And we talk to her. But, you know, she's two, almost two in February. Two in February. I've, I've still not seen, I've not touched her. That's why if you have little kids, I'm sorry if I just grab them and just hold them. And I just touch their face because I... I know what it's like to say I'm a grandpa without feeling like a grandpa, and it kind of stinks, but I have a conviction that the kids that I raised in church to serve the Lord with Carrie and I side by side all these years, that one day God was going to use them from underneath the shadow of mom and dad, and I believe I have a, I have a conviction that there is a call of God on their life that goes beyond me. I have a conviction that my kids will stand on my shoulders. And if they're standing on my shoulders, they can't be under my umbrella. That's my conviction. Now my preference, I'm really struggling with that these days. If I'm being honest, these are one of the things Carrie has to talk me off of a ledge quite often. Because I love, I love my family. I want to see my grandkid. I want to see all of my kids. I didn't know 11 years ago when we started the church and said, the Exchange Church, fully developing followers of Christ that will ignite a global revolution. I should have said a round rock revolution. <laughs> Preferences don't build a powerful life. Conviction does. Preferences don't allow you to stand in a place of courage because God doesn't really care as much about your preferences as he does your convictions. You see, his word is sent to fulfill your biblically-based convictions. It will carry it out. He, He will undergird your convictions. And when you have convictions, you stand in the place of courage. I just find when I'm really focused on my convictions, courage wells up within me. Some of us don't have the courage of conviction because we don't have any convictions. What do you believe to be true? If you don't know what your convictions are, no harm, no foul, but figure it out. What, what do you believe to be true when the world is shaken, when you no longer have any freedom to come to this house and worship, and it's you in your closet with the candle and a ripped up piece of scripture, what do you believe to be true? Whenever a, a one world religion, one world government, by the way, opens 2022, Chrislam, uh, one world religion, it's already in the works. I don't know where you've been, but it's here, full throttle, the train is coming. And what are you going to do when you're asked to make a decision? To submit to Chrislam where all religions are equal and all religions matter and all religions lead to the same God? Or do you stand on the, the truth that you know, the conviction that Jesus is the only way to the Father? And if that means you take my life, it's for the glory of God. I mean, have we had these conversations with our kids. My, my kids know, and we've even, we've even said, if it ever comes down to that and we have to give our life, know that we loved you, we didn't want to leave you, 
Well, we'll see you soon. And if you have to give your life for the cause of Christ, we're so proud of you. And there's no other decision that you need to make because this life is very temporary. It's very temporary. And by the way, you don't, you don't need a whole one world government scheme and scandal to have to choose faith in a moment of life and death. Convictions develop courage. Number two, point number two, a conqueror speaks with courage in their conversations. Talking about the heart of a conqueror, Joshua is about to head out. After he gets this little pep talk from God, you can read the verses yourself, verse 10 through 18. He then goes and translates the pep talk to his leaders. And then his leaders translate the pep talk to the people that are following them. The heart of a conqueror, a conqueror speaks with courage in their conversations. Do you speak with courageous words? Are they filled with heart, with purpose? Do your words reflect heaven's best for people? Are you giving people hope, giving people courage to fight again another day? Do people sense when you speak that you're actually a child of God? Is, are the things that we're saying letting people see the courage that can be found in Jesus Christ? Because the heart of a conqueror speaks with courage. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, I don't think I have this, for this on the screen, but go in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. It says, When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, will be with you. So we even see in Deuteronomy, as they're heading into war, the same, same people, these, these people are heading into war, and they're saying, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. Now, that's a conviction. I know many of your stories and your struggles. And many of you are currently in some very big struggles. To still show up to the table. To still lift your hands in worship. To still pray to God. To still believe that God is good and God is for you. That is a conviction. That no matter what happens around me, no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens in me, that God is still for me. He's not just good. He's not just good. Sometimes we get caught up on the God is good thing. He's good. But it's too easy to think he's good for everyone else but me. A conviction says that God is for me. And then when you go through seasons of loss, like Carrie and I have been feeling so much lately, just little, little things, loss, some, some that we, we cause ourselves, like trying to redo a fireplace, right? We decided to take off a few tiles on the fireplace yesterday. Destroyed my whole home. <laughs> I sat back and I thought, why did I let my wife tell me to do this? Actually, it was one of those days for me that I just wanted to hit something anyway. And so I'm taking off the tile. And we're wanting to redo it because we're getting new floors anyway from a flood that we had. So while, while insurance is taking care of floors, let us do this one little project. <laughs> little. <laughs> so I sit back and, you know, 
I think of all the loss we've experienced, I now have fireplace on the, on the list of loss. But here's what I do know. Whether I create the loss or whether I step into the loss or loss simply finds me, I know that God is still for me. Whether I've made my own mess or not, God is for me. Whether mess has rubbed off on me or not, God is for me. Whether I've done everything right or not, God is for me. This is a conviction. In 20 verse 1, it says, when you go to war, remember that God is for you. We have to be a people of courage that constantly drag our minds back to the place where God is for you. God is for me. I Check bounced again. God is for me. We have to be careful because in verse 8 of Deuteronomy chapter 20, the officer gets up to speak and he says, If anyone is afraid, is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? If so, let him go home so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened too. You know why the enemy loves to cause us to get discouraged? Because we have no problems contaminating others with our discouragement. Discouragement grows because we got to talk about it. We got to we got to process it with other people and we and, and we if we only spent half as much time on our knees in a place of courage processing with Jesus than we are discussing discouragement with our neighbors we would be healthier but not only that 20 verse 8 tells us that the people around us will be healthier too our discouragement our venting causes people around us to lose their battle too. Courage is a choice. Courage is a choice. Now, just by the way, let me just clarify something because I, I don't at all want you to think that you can't be vulnerable and share your heart and share your problems. That's The church is a, a place to get healing. It's just not a space to spew. And there is a difference. Um, you can always tell the difference in your own heart if you've shared this story more than once without making any changes yourself. If you've shared the story once, anytime it's come out of your mouth, that was an opportunity for Holy Spirit to deal with you on some things. If you have not dealt with those things and made changes, you don't have the authority to say it again a second time until you capitalize on the opportunity that he wants to make the first time. A conqueror also makes spiritual commitments. Spiritual commitments. How do I get courage? That's the big question. You make some commitments that are bigger than you. You make commitments to people that don't deserve you to be committed to them. You keep loving people that are unlovable. You, you keep encouraging people even when they don't receive your encouragement. You keep giving your advice to people even when they don't use it. You keep getting on your knees and praying even when you don't hear the answer from God. You make spiritual commitments. 
Courage will pursue commitments that are beyond your ability to fulfill. So if you feel discouraged, it's time to look at your commitments and make more of them. Isn't it funny that the enemy will always, when we feel discouraged, will cause us to withdraw from commitments? Have you ever noticed that? Because he knows that courage is found in commitment, not away from it. So he will make you think that you need space for healing when in fact you need to dig your heels in and become more committed to that marriage, more committed to that employer-employee relationship, more committed to your kids, more committed to your church. Because in, in the area of commitment, courage begins to rise. Choose to have a heart for God rather than a heart that is easily discouraged. Thinking God isn't there, that's a commitment. I have two more points I want to give you as I wrap up today. In Joshua 1.9, the first verse of our text, it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. If Joshua can't choose courage, if, if Joshua could not make a conscious decision to choose courage, it would have been very unfair for God to demand that he have courage. Right? Anything that God requires of us, it is within our capacity always to give it. Here are some courageous commitments that I'll leave you with. Number one, commit to living out and in God's word. Choose to be someone who loves God's word. Make that commitment today. There's never been a time, at least in my life, that I've needed the word of God, the spirit of truth more than right now. Make that commitment today. Let that be one of the areas that binds you to the place of courage live in God's word and live out God's word. Meditate on the word, verses seven and eight. I love how the courage that he's giving to Joshua hinges on Joshua really meditating on the word because when we meditate on the word, we understand seasons. That means, what's a season? A season is understanding at the same time truth and timing. Knowing the truth and the timing. Too many times we know the truth, but it's out of season. And so we pursue something that's not time to be pursued, or we let go of something that's not time to be let go of. But understanding season is to know the truth and the time. Carrie called me randomly this morning on the way to church, and she had this memory of us, and she just thought it was so hilarious. And I thought, I've got to to share that because it actually fits with living in God's word, living in the word and out of the word, understanding seasons, understanding timing. She said, do you remember when we first got married, you used to gripe at me because I would gripe at her because she would set the alarm clock 20 minutes early every day. Now, she wouldn't set the alarm clock 20 minutes early. She moved the time 20 minutes early. So instead of 8 a.m., it would be, the clock would say 7.40 a.m. And then she would set the alarm for the time that she wanted to get up. And I would say, why, why are you doing that? And she goes, because it's just a nice surprise every morning to wake up and know, oh, I've got another 20 minutes. 
But I can't tell you the number of times I would look at the clock and jump out of bed and race to work because I'm freaking out that I am, are you with me Elvis? I am behind schedule and I'm like, why don't you just set the clock where it needs to be and then set the alarm 20 minutes earlier? No, that doesn't work for me. Thank God she doesn't do that anymore. But it creates really big issues when you don't know what time it is. Time in your relationship. When it's time, when you're leading a teenager, is it, is it time to be gentle or time to be firm? A time to release some freedom or a time, time to rein it in and provide stricter boundaries? A time to ignore that mouth or a time to address it? A time to ignore that attitude or time to cast the devil out? Do you know what I mean? That's a joke. Timing matters. Timing, timing matters. The, the enemy has been trying to convince you that you've got all the time in the world you need to make your relationship with Jesus right. But today is the day of salvation. Jesus could come before I finish this sermon. I don't know when he's coming back in the rapture, but every one of you are living in your last days. Some of you will die within 10 years. Some of us might die within six months. We never know. Timing is very critical. Today is the day of salvation. You know, God sent his son to die on a cross for you and I so that we could stand in a place of courage. someone here this morning and you have been holding on to unforgiveness you, you've got it all put together you, you look fine on the outside but this thing is killing you inside and you keep saying that you've forgiven and you've letting it go but but the posture of your heart reveals otherwise. Because when you hear that person's name or you think of that person or you have to interact with that person because you're tied together. Thank you, Lord. There's a turning, a churning that happens in your stomach. The Lord needs you to have the courage to let him deal with that situation. Can you stand to your feet? I want to create an opportunity. If you'll just bow your head and close your eyes. Come on, Chad. Let's get some music up in this place. If that's you, 
that unforgiveness. In fact, I feel like the unforgiveness has limited your courage. <laughs> you can't step into the place of courage because of all the strings that are attached with this unforgiveness. Uh, it's so complex and it goes so deep and you've given so many chances and you've loved so hard. But now you're wounded and you can't step into the place of courage. Who is that? I'm not gonna call you forward, but who am I talking to this morning? Okay, one, is there more? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Good grief. I thought that was a pretty specific word, but it's 11. Okay, so there's something we need to deal with here on a corporate level. Can I get, get the team up? So everyone that raised your hand, I just have a question for you. The Lord wants to know, do you trust him? I, I sense that there have been so many areas of your life that you've had to trust and, and you've come out refined as fire. But in this area, the unforgiveness, do, do you trust that God is going to work that out? Do you, do you trust that even if God blesses that person, even if God restores and reconciles that person to himself, that God knows what he's doing. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your anger, your wrath. Do you trust him? Because it's gonna require trust to walk away from unforgiveness. Uh, unforgiveness basically is saying that that person owes you something in exchange for the pain that they've caused you. You're not going to release them from their obligation. You're not going to release them from their debt. But today, can you just can you just allow Jesus to pay that debt? Can you allow Jesus to pay that debt for them toward you? Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the unforgiveness that is in the room. Oh, Lord, they came, they came to the right place at the right time to hear the right word. God, we trust you. We trust you that all things are going to work for our good. We don't need to keep accounts. We don't need to keep score. We don't need to keep tabs. And God, we just open our hands to you today, open-handed. We allow you to pay the debt toward our soul to set them free in our own hearts. God, never let us use your grace to only benefit us. Let us use your grace to benefit those who have hurt us, those who have betrayed us, those who don't deserve our forgiveness. But you do, God. So God, we ask that you would come and just clean our hearts this morning. We choose to forgive this person. We release them from all judgment, from all accusation. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit.
Jesus' name.